Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Welcome to the Film Board, the movie conversation podcast reviewing the latest releases that you've seen and want to talk about. My name is Andy Nelson, host of the Next Real Film Podcast. On this episode, we're succumbing to mind control in the Red Room. It's the latest installment in the MCU, Kate Shortland's Black Widow. You don't know everything about me. 
I've lived a lot of lives before I was an Avenger, before I got this family. I made mistakes choosing between what the world wants you to be. who you are. We have to go back to where it all started. Where did you think I was all this time? We have unfinished business. My girls are the toughest girls in the world. I'm sorry. We had our orders and we played our role. It wasn't real. It was real to me. To me? You were everything. Bring her home. Put your seatbelts on. She's such a mom. It is a full house on the film board today. First off, Kyle Olson from the Marvel Movie Minute. That's me. Hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, I, I know you're still buried in Iron Man 2, yeah. which will be actually great for this conversation since that's the first appearance of Black Widow. Very and true. now you can finally close that loop, as it were. Uh, Matthew Fox is here from the Superhero Ethics Podcast. Hey, Matthew. Hey, really glad to be back. And we have Jordan Peterson in the house. Hello again. Hey, hello. And uh, CJ Lindsay is also here. Hello, CJ. Hello. Happy to be here. Last but not least, we have Craig Price from Matinee Heroes. Welcome, Craig. Hey, thanks for having me. Like I said, it is a full house of people here who uh, hopefully are excited to be here talking about Black Widow, the latest in the MCU. Um, after 11 years, Black Widow finally has her own movie. So let's start uh, talking. Let's go around the circle, get our initial thoughts of this film. And see what everybody kind of, you know, just uh, on the surface level, what'd you think? Kyle, let's start with you. Uh, a little bittersweet, because like you're saying, it took so long to get here, and now it's done that it, it seems like for, for a founding member uh, of the Avengers to now get the thing after dying, finally get her own movie. It seems like uh, way overdue. I, I really enjoyed it. I had a good time. Uh, my, my main complaint, I guess, is that it's exactly what I expected it to be. But what I expected it to be was good. So it's a weird thing. I guess it, you know, when you, you get spoiled by a certain amount of, of Marvelness, and when you get exactly what Marvel does in exactly the Marvel way, you kind of go, yes, but should there have been more? <laughs> I don't know. I guess we'll find out today. That's right. All right, Matthew, what about you? Initial thoughts. So for me, this movie had taken on a very kind of special prominence because I'm very enmeshed with a lot of Marvel communities. And like when the pandemic got started, you know, this was the movie that like, okay, in a couple weeks, things will pass. We'll get to see it. And then there kept being like Disney. Disney would never just do like, we have no idea we're going to do it. They kept saying like, okay, we're going to show it in the summer. Okay. You know, things are the fall, the wind. They pushed it back like five times. So just getting to see it. I mean, it just felt like a like, okay. This is one more, like, a little bit things back to normal and with everything else, of course, still going on. But, like, it just was so good to have a Marvel movie again. Uh, I also think so good to finally get Black Widow and uh, the movie that, that the character should have had, as we said, so many years ago. Beyond that, though, I think kind of like Kyle, like, I thought it was okay. I thought it was fine. But 
honestly, when the whole movie is about like people undoing the things that they've learned of brainwashing and things like that, once I saw it was, oh, we're going to spray a red mist instead of like actual like people on, I was like, ah, okay, this is lazy. This is not the movie I wanted. So I, I was mixed, but then like the family dynamics were great. The action was great. It, it was a fine movie. Fine movie. Fine movie. <laughs> Jordan, let's get your thoughts on this one. I was really tempted to kind of troll a little bit and just say, loved it, and then stop talking. <laughs> um, but that would be so, so far outside of character for me. Uh, I don't think I'm Indeed. physically capable of, of that kind of response. Um, I did like it a lot. Uh, I really, really liked it. Um, I, uh, you know, it is the first, it's one of the first, like, this was, I think this is the first movie I saw in the theaters where there, wa- where there weren't like attendance caps, um, mm. live in Los Angeles and like, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, uh, COVID officially ended <laughs> according to the powers that be. Um, and so the theater said, all right, we can fill all the seats now. And so there were literally people like to my right and left. Like, I mean, I was, it was a full house, which was a really awesome experience. And there was one guy next to me who just like, I think had the exact same experience I did. And it was just like delightful to just listen to him just, you know, wailing and laughter. And I mean, it was fantastic. It was just a lot of, a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I went in with relatively low expectations and um and was extremely pleased, uh, extremely pleased. And um, there's a I think there's a ton to love about this movie. Uh, and I was also, you know, um, one last thought is that there there are, I think some justifiably some comments about like you know philosophically ethically yes we should have had a Black Widow movie much earlier, but but. Scarjo is not like the best actress in the world. So I'm glad she got like a lot of practice being Black Widow before we got a Black Widow movie. I think she did about as well as I've ever seen her do in this movie. And so uh, I think we have a little bit of credit, um, you know, uh, for the weight. Uh, we can credit the weight a little bit for that. Did all of you see this in the theater? Or did any of you watch it on Disney Plus Premium? Uh, I uh, I did watch it uh, on Disney Plus. I, my my partner was not feeling well, so uh, I I did the stay up till two in the morning my time. Press play the minute that uh, that it got started. Yeah, I saw it in the theater, and it was weird. I bought my tickets at a point when the theater was still limiting how many people <laughs> would be seated. And then when I went to show up at the theater, there was somebody at the door saying, "Did you get your tickets before?" Uh, before all of this, and they actually had moved us. Uh, I was like, "Oh, that was strange." Luckily, it wasn't. It, it didn't end up being like a horrible move to terrible seats or anything like that. But still, <laughs> I'm like, I, "That was a strange thing to kind of walk into." That's exactly what happened uh, to me. Like, like, well, there, yeah. There's people at the at the door with a clipboard saying, "Oh, right. actually, you know, you bought these seats, but you don't actually have those seats. You have these one." And I had I taken know. a friend who had not been to a movie since before COVID, and he got kind of nervous because originally there was you know when i bought mm. the seats for him it was him and his daughter there was and then a space on either yeah. side and now nope shoulder to shoulder and he got a little nervous about that yeah it was full and i, I think that's california because i saw in into the heights was the uh, sorry in the heights was the first movie i've seen in the theaters and i saw that i think two weeks ago or so and we were i think there was like a, there were some empty seats that wasn't sold out but we definitely were like not there wasn't any like forced distancing by the theater and this is minnesota so I, and I know California's been a lot stricter about that. Yeah. And Phoenix yeah. has not. So Phoenix is... <laughs> really, we don't have yeah. rules here in Phoenix. Yeah. Oh, that's right. the Wild West, <laughs> Wild yeah. West. All right, CJ, let's get your initial thoughts on this one. Well, uh, first of all, I will attest that the person that Jordan was sitting next to had the exact same reactions. This, they were laughing. 
like there was a moment where they were the only two people laughing in the <laughs> entire theater uh, and they just kept laughing. They were like kind of fueling each other. It was great. I didn't get to sit right next to him. Uh, I was I was like three seats to his right, but um, it was great. Uh, my feelings on the movie were uh, similar to uh, kind of a lot of first solo MCU movies, which uh, which is that it was incredibly entertaining. I had a really good time. Uh, the casting is perfect. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the, the comedy chops of the movie were fantastic. Those were my kind of favorite moments. Uh, all of that said, there were some significant, I think some missed opportunities that they probably could have tightened up a little bit. Um, but for the most part, the, the net outcome of my experience was positive with some comic book fan gripes because I wouldn't be a comic book fan if I didn't have gripes. (laughs) We'll get there. We'll get there. Craig, how about you? Well, I saw it at the Irvine Spectrum IMAX. So people were cheering the IMAX logo. That's how excited they were. And I think all the delays really worked in Disney's favor. As we will find out, it looks like it's going to make about $100 million this weekend. And that's why they postponed it because this is a movie that people need to see in the movies theater, but also it's a situation where everybody is just so excited to get out that they're going, even if they weren't going to go see this one or they had the option to see it at home, I think they're still going to go out because they can. I think I'm going to go to a Comic-Con next week and that's going to be full because I think it's just people are so desperate to be out doing stuff. So Disney was pretty smart to delay this because I, and I think the money will show that I, I thought it was great. Um, I think it also has the benefit of being the first Marvel movie out after COVID. And so people, even if they have high expectations, have had a drought. Mm-hmm. So they're just happy to be drinking at the well. And so they're going to be probably a little more high on it than normal or more critical. But I think it's, I think it's a good solid outing. Um, it's a little more snarky than funny. I didn't really, it's not, I wouldn't call it very funny. I think the, the funniest part is David Harbour and he's being an idiot, but I think it's, <laughs> but everything else is just mostly uh, Florence Pugh just kind of being a little snarky once in a while. It wasn't ha ha laugh riot, which is not kind of movie, but it's a, a very solid entry and definitely worth the money. Yeah, I think that they, they did a really good job with this. And I, I enjoy uh, Scarlett Johansson's portrayal of this character over the years. I think that she's clearly kind of kind of grown into the role. And I, you know, I had a lot of fun with kind of this, the world they created here. I enjoyed the way that this story unfolded. I enjoyed that they created this really strong story about all these really strong female, uh, you know, characters. I thought that was actually uh, pretty interesting. And so I had a great time. Um, my family and I, we, we really enjoyed it. I, I certainly have my issues too. And uh, so, yeah, let's start digging into this a little bit. Let's the film starts off in Ohio in 1995. And uh, so I want to kind of talk about the setup that we're walking into here, because I think that there are some interesting elements here uh, in kind of how we kind of our perceptions of what we're walking into as we meet this family and and kind of get to know these people before all of a sudden oh they're actually all russian spies uh which is a very interesting way to set up the film and uh, but my first question is when you were in 1995 did you know any youths who had blue hair and (laughs) do you think that's an effective strategy for a russian spy hiding in 1995 to stand out by dyeing your hair blue (laughs) 
I went to a super progressive <laughs> high school in in New York City, and there was the one girl who was the goth girl in school, and she did have blue hair, and she was an absolute standout. Everyone talked about her in this super progressive <laughs> school in a super progressive uh, city. Yeah, that in suburbia, I was like, it's cute. Come on. <laughs> No, the question is, were you talking about her parents? Because the parents were the spies and the kids were not. So it doesn't matter what the kids are doing. So, yes, if there's a kid with blue hair, big deal. If mom's got blue hair, now you've got a problem. <laughs> uh, although, I, it, clearly, Natasha knew kind of what was going on. Like, she was in the loop of, like, we're actually from Russia and all this sort of thing. So she may not have been one of the spies, but she certainly was hiding things. And so I, I thought it was just a very funny setup that, <laughs> like, this is how we're setting the whole thing up. She's so cool. She has blue hair in 1995. I thought that was a little bit of a stretch. But, you know, it's an easy thing to forgive. <laughs> Regardless, let's talk about kind of this whole idea of, uh, you know, setting up a family. We meet them as family, which I thought was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, Kyle, what did, how did that play for you? Yeah, I, I liked it because, uh, I didn't know exactly where we were, what was going on. It was, it was nice to be disoriented in the spy thriller right at the start. I was thinking, oh, do, are we going about to find out that Natasha was actually kidnapped? Like this was her normal life and then she's taken for them. And then as they slowly reveal, as everyone sort of gathers together, and of course we've all seen the preview, so we know who they all are, you start to go, oh, they're doing the Americans. Like they're doing a riff on, um, you know, the, the Russian spies living in suburbia thing. I that was really, I, I kind of like, enjoyed that so much i kind of wish there had been more of that but i i know they need that we need to see scarjo we need to get the stuff rolling but they they built such a nice little domestic thing in there uh that when it when everything kind of went crazy you you but i think they did an effective job because then you know what it is that especially Florence Pugh's character yelena is arcing back to because you got to see that a little bit of what that family unit as opposed to starting it right from them jumping in the car and driving away I thought that was an important point, um, certainly worth bringing up the fact that, you know, it becomes so critical, the idea of this family being a real family, as you said, for Yelena, it is a critical part of her youth that she always thought it was real. And all these other people are saying, oh, we faked the whole thing. And uh, until Natasha later reveals, no, there was actually I did I did get more out of that. And and I found that to be a strong point of that. Uh, Jordan, did you have any reactions to how that uh, that all played off? I think that the the whole family dynamic thing, I mean, the, really was the emotional core of the movie. And it was, to me, shockingly successful. I was um, th- like, that's the that's the thing that surprised me the most. Like, I expect at this point Marvel to be really good at action scenes. I expect them to be really good at comedy and like you know, keeping things just light enough that, you know, that you're here to have a good time and, you know, really good spectacle and um, and generally speaking, really good casting. But a lot of the time, the emotional core is just sort of like maybe competent at best. And this one, I felt like it was one of the more affecting um, stories um, about like with character arcs, with relationships that I'd seen from from Marvel in a really long time. And so I was, yeah, in general, very, very impressed. It was effective for me from pretty much the get-go um blue hair didn't bother me (laughs) um i I did i did find myself questioning a little bit i was like 1995 uh but um (laughs) but like uh, but in general like it just i felt like the aesthetic was really was was profoundly effective and um and the way that i mean i i you feel so sort of bought in to that story and those people so early 
that that really carries through like every scene that they reappear. And I never I never felt like that was ever betrayed. I never felt I felt like all of the all of the reveals, all the twists, all the challenges that they were all very well earned um, so that by the end, I cared very, very much, um, you know, about how that relationship, how those relationships were going to go, which I think is actually I'm just going to go one step further and say it's fantastic as a, an origin story for uh, for Florence Pugh's character, because now we know we're going to see her. And I'm thrilled to death, not only because she's a fantastic actress, but because like she's got this really solid emotional backstory. And I that's wonderful. So I'm, yeah, very, very happy with that. And I just I just want to make sure that we do understand Ever Anderson, who plays young Natasha. She rocks that blue hair. Let's be clear. (laughs) She looks fantastic. (laughs) Amen. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting beginning because of the way that it sets up this, this story about family. And I, I think that it does become such a critical part of the film. And then we take a, a really, I, I just, it was so effective the way that it went so quickly from this wholesome family and all this sort of stuff to all of a sudden now we're on the run. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So this is, so now it's going to be one of these stories where it's a family on the run. Then they're speaking Russian. Then the kids are, are, you know, taking guns and kicking butt. And so it turned into something much more, much different than what we had been getting. And then we shift into the kids getting injections in the neck and our opening credit sequence with what seems to be like a, a young girl smuggling ring, which was just kind of horrifying. And it was something I was like, this is kind of like DC territory. Like, this is really dark stuff that we're all of a sudden jumping into, uh, which was a big surprise because I, I did feel still that this was a family. I didn't realize it really was not a family at all. How did that all play for you, Craig? Well, it's Black Widow. It's Her backstory is not pleasant. And like the main villain, the general says, uh, the world's largest resource is being exploited and that's women. Um, he was, he said that right out. So th- that is exactly what's going on. Um, it is a brave move for Marvel, but not for movies in general. I thought, I thought it fit exactly the backstory of the Red Room and specifically Black Widow. So, you know, I liked it when the, we had the Fem Force Five kicking butt at the beginning. It's like they're, they're <laughs> up on the, in Morocco with their guns wearing black, which is not the, greatest thing to do in uh, <laughs> as someone from phoenix you probably know kyle you're not out there yeah. rocking black leather because <laughs> <No. laughs> die but um I-, I thought they used that without it being overly played and nowadays you got so many toxic fanboys who are upset about taskmaster never mind that the entire movie <sighs> is a a female uh uplifting story for every girl that's in there my wife was so excited to watch this movie and she loved every second of it because finally every single person who is of value who has something to do is just a female it's not and it's not even a big deal like i said they don't make a big deal of it except the fact that it just happens to be all women the security guards are all women the uh, assassins are all women uh everybody is just Playing a woman who's and would have a normal human man would have, so it wasn't a big deal. I don't think they overplayed it. I think they balanced it out perfectly. And quite frankly, uh, there's going to be a lot of still. There's still going to be a lot of whining about Taskmaster. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was very intentional on exactly what you're saying, Craig. That 
the movie kind of addressed two of the things that have often been critiqued, particularly about Black Widow, as being not great from a feminist perspective. One was just the, like, you know, in Iron Man, they showed her, like, you know, the hair-flipping sex kitten, and they completely made fun of that with this great running game. Well, that was a real thing. Of Yelena... Yeah, like, I thought it was so good. Mm-hmm. But also, like, and that was a great joke, but also a good callback. But also, you know, Age of Ultron, when, you know, Natasha says, oh, I'm just like you. I'm a terrible monster because I can't have children. Like, there was a lot of, I think, very justifiable anger about that. And so having a scene where both her and Yelena get to talk about what happened to them in terms of the the, the non-consensual forced hysterectomies in much more serious ways and seeing a man be like, oh, I don't want to hear about it. And them like, no, you have to hear about that. That felt to me like they really li- – that was very intentionally like we listened to what was wrong with Ultron. We want to make sure we give that part of Natasha's story a much better reading. Uh, and I, I just thought that was fantastic. Um, I had read that uh, the director uh- – Kate Shortland had brought in uh, Nicole Holof Center to actually do some uncredited rewrites on that particular scene to actually kind of really address those issues that had come up in Ultron and this whole idea of oh you 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 have been sterilized you're a monster like that whole thing and 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 finding a way to kind of approach it in in a way that just just made them say it was something that happened but we're not monsters because of that you know and and so I thought it was a really interesting way to kind of address that particular scene and in context of the red room and everything else I thought actually it was really interesting seeing the way it was played out and I loved personally i love the way how david harbour's uh as alexi his reaction to them was like oh is it your time of month like all of that sort of stuff like that played exactly to like how dumb men react to things like this and so for me it was an incredibly effective scene and it, for me it was, it was it was kind of a surprising moment to actually have in here uh cj did you have any thoughts on on how all of that played out in this film yeah it was actually one of the things that uh when i thought about a black widow kind of solo movie my first thought as a comic fan was like that's the marvel they might have to go dark like that's that's there's some brutal stuff in kind of the backstory there um and bringing in characters like taskmaster and and i knew they they'd change some things but i i kind of wondered how they would handle all of that and the opening credits were with the the hauntingly beautiful kind of uh, feeling of the montage and everything that we saw. It was like all really dark stuff and we felt it there for a moment, but then they did really well about like making it a joke, right? Like they, what they're talking about is pretty dark, but Florence Pugh just kind of makes a joke out of it. Like get all up in there and they just kind of, right. And she, and it's like, haha, funny, but like kind of not, not though. <laughs> And and uh, I wondered how Marvel was going to balance that. And I wondered if it was going to work. I wondered if they would ignore it entirely. Um, you know, they've touched on it here or there in various Avengers movies. But uh, but I thought that the way that uh, that they decided to go about it to address the darkness uh, in a way that didn't feel dark was great. Um, it still felt real. It felt like the stakes were there and the stakes were true and and we like the red room is very softened um and how it is portrayed in the comics a lot of the times uh but it still works you still know what it is you still you're still very much there uh it didn't take anything away from it i was they rode that line it was a a very thin line that they rode i think very well i think it was a really smart choice to use gallows humor to to get into the really 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 dark stuff um because it allows you to not cheapen the the stuff by like pulling punches 
but it also keeps it from being so heavy that it like drains the spirit out of the out of the scene out of the movie um and it also feels i think it feels really authentic like when when it comes to like the worst things that people deal with like when you're far when you have enough distance from like horrible trauma like the one of the probably most common reactions or ways to sort of deal with that in the long term is is with like really dark humor about it um it's like that's that's the way that we sort of adapt as human beings and so um i think it's a it's a it's a really actually pretty miraculous adaptation for human beings to do that and so it felt it felt very appropriate um as well as being you know sue me entertaining like you know to be able to kind of like get into that horrible stuff with like something that felt like authentic but also still like i really like these characters i want to hang out with them that's uh pretty great yeah it's a tough line to walk and uh, yeah i think that that they did it pretty successfully uh, there's been uh, a few people bringing up some points um, relating to the comics and its origins here as far as Taskmaster, the Red Room. Um, let's talk a little bit about the adaptation. And I, I don't know how many of you are versed in the Black Widow lore in the comics, but I'd love to hear thoughts from uh, from any of you who have read those stories. Uh, how did you think? As I mean, you mentioned it, they they softened the Red Room a little bit, CJ, and obviously there's uh, Taskmaster things. Uh, what are general thoughts of, of the adaptation in, in bringing this to the screen? So admittedly, I am uh, more of a DC comics reader than I am a Marvel reader. Um, as you can see with the wall behind me, there's not a single Marvel <laughs> thing up there uh, or my t-shirt, which is Batman. That being said, um, I have read more Taskmaster comics than I have Black Widow comics. And uh, so I'll, I'll speak primarily to that. I get the gripes. Um, I am aware of, of the changes that they made. Um, but, you know, Taskmaster 1 being male and changing it to female. Um, and, you know, there there's like deep cuts of there's a Deadpool comic where she was a female at one point and all that. But primarily it was a male. I'm fine with that. Um, I'm fine with they they take the amnesia part of his character where he doesn't totally remember all of where he came from. Um, and as he absorbs more uh, kind of muscle memory, which is kind of his main power that um, the non muscle memory parts of his life goes out of his memory. So it's kind of this perpetual uh, amnesia in his life. Um, and, and changing that to it, what seemed like they were changing it to brain, con like mind control, um, and kind of playing that as kind of the same thing. Um, I'm fine with all the changes. Th there was missed opportunity. And that's probably the biggest part when I said in, in, in the opening that there was missed opportunity. It was with Taskmaster. Uh, I love the character, but, um, I, I was honestly okay because of the story that we needed to see. It was not necessarily Taskmaster's story that we needed to watch. Uh, and so they made the changes to better illustrate a Black Widow and family family story. Uh, and so I was okay with it. And I think that I could have used some more muscle memory mimicking. You know, there was some in there. And like we got a little Black Panther kind of moment that was cool. Um but that's like a that's like a really cool power. And to see it on a big screen, I think that there could have been a little more opportunity to see some muscle memory and some copying and maybe referencing some some older movies where if there was footage of superheroes fighting, you know, sh she turns into Captain America or turns into, you know what I mean? That that could have been really cool. So there was missed opportunities, but the changes that were made, I was frankly OK with. Yeah, I'm I'm. 
agree, I agree. I agree with you on all that. I, I sort of am of a divided mind. Like, there's the my movie fanboy and my and my comic book fanboy are sort of at war. So, movie wise, I think it worked. I think having it be Dracov's daughter, which was a callback all the way back to the first Avengers movie, and and fit thematically, and it's yet another victim of what the Red Room was doing. All that worked, but then. At the same time, I have the same problem with this version of Taskmaster as I do with Hawkeye, because the Hawkeye that's in the MCU is not the Hawkeye from the comics. And while Jeremy Renner's portrayal is interesting, I, I sort of then also mourn seeing the Clint that I read for, you know, 30 years or whatever. Like, I'm like, oh, I like that guy. Like, when they bring the series out, I'm, I have high hopes, but it's not going to be the Matt Fraction, David Aja run, because... He's so different as a character, and so that, I, that that's sort of what I what I what I mourn a little bit is like I don't mind it, that it's a new character that's also called Taskmaster, but then that means that we're not going to get the Taskmaster that I was really hoping that we would that would be able to stand toe to toe with any of the Avengers, and because they can do anything that they can do, and you can't stop them. Yeah, it's like now we have a, a, a person who's totally different, who has a similar set of powers, who now is a silent person working along this other new group that's gone off in the way. Okay, like, I, once again, cinematically, it worked perfectly, but fanboy-wise, I kind of, like, it makes me a little bit sad. Yeah, I I, I, I also personally just felt bad for Olga Kurilenko, who I just, I love seeing her on the screen, and I was like, I wonder how much she actually got to be in the film and on the set like was it just the two times they took the helmet off was that it because <laughs> that wasn't a lot of screen time well they but... were probably strapped for cash they couldn't quite afford to have her on set <laughs> you know yeah, right. more often right right uh that no, was a really interesting character though and i i really enjoyed the way that taskmaster did play out in the course of the film and yeah i mean i'm not as familiar with taskmaster from the comics so it didn't it didn't bother me that i i figured that they had made some big changes like they did um it didn't really bug me and in fact i actually really liked the way that they modified the character to be this female character daughter of Drakoff. Uh, is a really interesting kind of twist and, and kind of an interesting surprise. Um, let's talk a little bit more about kind of the villains of the film. We've got uh, Drakov as kind of the the head of the Red Room. Uh, this is uh, Ray Winstone's character. And then, of course, Taskmaster, played by Olga Kurlenko. Let's talk a little bit about the villains. How did they how did they work for all of you as far as kind of this this pair, the Red Room, the Russians, all of this this side of things? Uh, Craig, what did you think? It's Ray Winstone. Of course, it's great. Um, I mean, he's perfect. <laughs> uh, I I kind of feel like they didn't play up the Howard Hughes aspect of him as much. I mean, they 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 those little glimpses. They showed his fingernails. They showed the all the food service. I mean, he's got room service trays in front of his door. You think there'd be someone picking that up? Um, just me. If you're gonna live this whole thing. I always find it a little ridiculous when you have a floating city and they say that no one can find you because you're above radar. But that's, I mean, the heat signature alone <laughs> is going to be massive. That's not how it works. Yeah. I think I've heard the word satellite mentioned once or twice yeah, yeah. in the MCU. But, uh, he he played a, a, a great villain because it's Ray Winstone. His motivations are always a little weird. and they, uh, But the MCU's villains are always that way. They they always have like one that's just a little bit off that doesn't make any sense to anybody besides the person who's portraying them. I mean, he has everything in the one ring. Come on. Uh, but other than that, <laughs> I mean, he had the fact that he didn't want anybody to know who he was made sense. Her goading him at the end about nobody knows. So are you really real? Do you really exist? 
I think he wouldn't have cared because he he's living he's living in a room by himself for years. He doesn't care if anybody knows. He, it's the power. He, he gets off on controlling people. He gets off on controlling and manipulating the world from his literal high ivory tower in the sky. So I loved him as a villain. I just thought that the, the interactions between him and Black Widow near that end there were, they could have changed that up a little bit. It was a little too easy. Any other thoughts on that? When I compare this to other kind of solo MCU f- films, th- I mean, this is essentially where I'm landing on it, which is this villain uh, motivations kind of hazy. Um, one off dies at the end. Uh, seemingly no long term consequences. Like this was a character that uh, was playing God and literally built a city above everyone else to watch over them and literally control half of uh, not all women but like a whole lot of people um and uh and be able to put his hands in all these things with the opening montage of him with bill clinton and him with all these uh you know political leaders obviously he's had he's kind of pulling the strings kind of puppet master there was some cool stuff some cool i don't know psychology if you want to character thinking that you could have gone into and whether in this film or in future films but they just don't. They just didn't. And and I feel like they've done that with a lot of really good villains in the MCU where they present this really cool character that you could get, really get into. But then in a movie, they die. And you're like, oh, OK, well, that was that was it. And the same thing. It's the, it's the same thing that happened in this one. We've talked about how we've kind of been spoiled by some of the newer Marvel movies, because I think this is like just as good as like Captain America, the first or Thor. I think in some ways we've also really been spoiled by the Disney Plus shows, and in my case, the Netflix, in many cases, the Netflix MCU shows, in that all the things we're saying about, I liked the family, I really wanted a lot more. I liked that 1980, the 95 scene, I wanted so much more. I wanted so much more about the villain. I feel like there were so many new characters and dynamics. I, I mean, I don't want to get to a world where it's only, you know, eight episode shows, but I feel like this story in some ways would have been much better without longer treatment. Because there's a lot of things where I just felt like, you know, having both the parents have their face turn, you know, it, it just all felt so rushed. And like, yeah, like the villain felt like, on some level, I really liked that it was low stakes. I liked that this wasn't someone who's, you know, destroying all of humanity or destroying the world. It was just some guy with a little bit of power. And then he said that stupid line about, I can make economies fall. And it's like, okay, well, that's Marvel being dumb. But like, <laughs> I, I like the small stakes. But I felt like there was so much more, as the other people were saying, like that I wanted from from his character, from the family, from all these things that I, I think it really suffered trying to put all that into two hours. Greg, you had a point? Well, I think the big problem with Marvel is the characters on this in the script are mediocre. But then they get people like Ray Winstone or Guy Pierce, or they cast so well that the the villains exceed expectations. And we want to see more of them, but because if you read it as a script, not knowing who is going to be who, you're like, oh, he's dead. That makes sense. But you get these great uh, actors coming in and really embodying these people, and you want to see more of them, but you can't because the script reads like, oh, he should die. It's no big deal until we see them actually perform. And they fall into that trap over and over again, where they just, I guess they have low expectations over who the villain is going to be, and then they get the person in there and they hit home runs and they don't understand why everyone's upset that all the villains are dying. (laughs) It amazes me that Marvel redefined the movie villain with Loki and then never figured out how to do that again. (laughs) 
Like, like you bring in Christopher Eccleston. He's Doctor Who. And you put him in the floor and you give him this horrible makeup, this terrible lines, and then kill him off. And you go, what was the point of bringing Chris? You could have put anybody in to do that. Yeah, I, they they had a, they have a bad track record of, and, and also even with Ultron, like Ultron has his has his issues, but like James Spader committed to that, like he was all about it, and he's gone forever. Like, what was the point then? Why did you just don't kill uh, him? That's all. I don't. You're, I agree with you a hundred percent, but just don't kill him off. I think that there's there's something um, fundamental, and CJ's heard me get on this soapbox plenty of times, so he'll be rolling his eyes at some point here, I'm sure. But um, there's something fundamentally uh, limiting about comic book movie adaptations because, um, you know, we're working within a, a contiguous universe that they're building. There are very, very hard rules about what they can and can't change and do within that universe. It's not a big open sandbox where you can do anything. Um, and I think that actually puts, I think that, that, that puts a, a relatively hard ceiling on how morally complex you can be, on how um, the how the stakes can be constructed and executed, and I mean, at the at the end of the day, uh, there are already way too many characters, way too many powers, way too many storylines, way too many everything. It's a miracle that any of these movies work. And I'm not being like a giant Marvel apologist here. I think that it's both a virtue and a vice. Like it's both a strength and a weakness of these movies. Um, you know, on the one hand, I think they're doing really great work and, you know, I, I always have a fantastic time. It's very dependable. Um, and on the other hand, like I'm never going to walk out of a Marvel movie expecting to be sort of like, you know, moved and, you know, changed in my soul because, <laughs> like, because they're, they're, they're operating within these really, really strict marketing, essentially boundaries where they just, they've, they've sort of painted themselves into a corner over and over and over again. So it's a miracle when you like the villains at all, I think. Um, and yeah, like when we get to the big floating city, I'm thinking like, this is absurd. Of course it's absurd. It's a comic book movie. Like the, the red dust that like magically cures your impossible brain control. Like, okay, great. It's a MacGuffin. I get it. It's a comic book movie, but like, um, you know, and then the fact that like, He's supposedly sitting in his like in his spider web and sending out all his black widows to control the world. I'm like, and what have you done with the world? Like, it's it's pretty mediocre. <laughs> There's not like like what grand plan have you executed? Like, it kind of seems like everything's just rolling forward like usual. Like, I'm not sure like what you've accomplished in all your decades of incredible manipulation. So it's all kind of it's all sort of baked into the fundamental weakness, I think, of this medium. Um, and I don't I, I'm you know, I'm I'm grateful that Marvel movies exist. I do wish that we could get, you know, 200 million dollars spent on other kinds of movies sometimes. But whatever, like this is what we have. So I think that it is it it ultimately it always feels to me like a little bit. Um, uh, it's it's it feels it feels a little bit wheel spinning to me to talk about like, oh, well, this villain just didn't wasn't quite fleshed out. It's like, well, what are they going to do? You know, I mean, I, I, I couldn't do better, you know, and I'm I'm a. Um, not that I'm like a great writer, but, uh, I do know how character and story works and I, and I've done a lot of this kind of work in the past and I don't know, I, I just don't know what I would do. I'm like, given the constraints that they have, I just don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe somebody figures it out at some point, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but yeah. when are you, but when are you going to bring them back? You know, like there's already too many. <laughs> so I, I do think there was a big missed opportunity. Like, I, I really hear what you're saying. I think there are some limitations there. I think there is, though, a huge missed opportunity. And, and, and there's, uh, there's kind of a red dust point I've been wanting to get into. And I think this is the perfect time for it. Because to me, the story that I have always wanted from Natasha 
is what made her choose to make a face turn? You know, what made her choose to stop being this assassin for the Russians or whoever it was and to start doing the right thing? Ten years ago, I would have loved to see, you know, her and, and the actor playing Hawkeye, like, play out that story. Like, give us the movie of Budapest. This was obviously not going to be that. It's too late. But I was, what my hope was that this movie was going to be basically getting to see Yelena go through the same process and Yelena, you know, having to come to terms in the same way that Natasha did with making that switch. And so to me, once they introduced the red dust, you remove all agency. And, and to me, agency is what makes characters interesting. What makes, and I feel like if they had, like, made the story, especially because then, like, you know, Natasha has this thing about, well, I don't want to commit collateral damage while breaking out their father figure from prison. They're murdering Russian prison guards with rocket launchers and no one cares. <laughs> like, it, it just seemed like there was so much moral weight they could have gotten into. And, and I would say, I mean, like, I, I think movies like Civil War and Black Panther and they, they have gone a lot deeper on some of those questions. And to me, I think that was where you would have had to tell a smaller movie because it would be much more about Natasha and Yelena. But I think if it had really been about Yelena having to decide to do what Natasha did instead of just Red Dust, to me, that would have been the single biggest change that would have made the movie a lot more, given a lot more depth in the way I would have loved. I think that's a really, really good point. And I completely agree. I totally 100% agree. That's that's a that's that's a like a basically a perfect summary of like probably if there's one giant flaw of this movie, it's that. Um, the red dust MacGuffin did kind of delete an, a, an entire layer of, of potential complex complexity, which I think probably on some level, they just weren't prepared to, to address. Like there just wasn't that kind of sophistication in the development of the story. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, they even, as far as like saving all of the other women around the world who are widows, they basically say, here's the, here's the one last vial you know, go make copies of it so we can cure everybody else. I mean, that's, that's basically is what it comes down to. And it does take a lot of that out. Coming back to the whole point about villains and everything. I mean, I, that is something that I certainly have appreciated in the Spider-Man films and Spider-Man generally as a character, always kind of getting his, putting his people in prison largely in, although it, it certainly hasn't played out in all of the films, but I know it's, it, you know, it, it, was, it was nice. I, I thought it was great seeing when we had Michael Keaton in jail at the end of, of uh, that film. It's nice when they do that and allow for possibilities in the future. And it's certainly something that, I mean, it's in comic books. People are always putting villains away so that they can have them later, right? And so it's something in the films that it, it is. It, it has always struck me that they they do that so rarely. And in the case of this particular film, especially because with with the grand scheming that Drakoff was doing, wouldn't it have been interesting if instead of saying, "Oh, we're going to finally do the Black Widow solo movie," what if they said, "We're finally going to do the Black Widow solo trilogy," and it's going to be a three films of hers all i mean they could have still squeezed it into that same window of time and they could have had this big overarching story over three films of drakov and all of his manipulation and each of the films could be part of that but then we have a much more interesting progression for that particular character because yes i and yelena starts off as an antagonist and then over the course of that be interesting wouldn't that be interesting because yeah i love ray winstone too I had a little issues sometimes with his accent, but largely yeah. he was yeah, he yeah. was great. <laughs> he was not quite Sean Connery Russian, but he was in that same sort of like I'm an English person. I'm, yeah. No, I'm not calling Sean Connery English. I'm a British person doing a Russian accent. 
I kept having this nervous feeling of like, okay, when are you going to tell us this is all Hydra because Hydra's still around? I was so glad that the word Hydra was never spoken and that it was just like this person doing things. Yeah, once, that yeah, was brought up. That, once, was yeah, it? Once, yeah, once, it was once yeah. uh, uh, Melina talked about how they stole the information from S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes, that's right. But it's actually okay. Hydra. She knew it was Hydra yeah. at the time. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that, so like it exists in the same world as Hydra, but ha- there was just a point in Marvel for a while where everything tied back to Hydra in some way or another. And I did like that it was that. I, I think though, I- I'm a politics nerd. The other thing, I- the Red Guardian's such an interesting character, especially how he keeps holding on to like the communism, like the party. The whole thing, the prelude was set in the years right after the Soviet Union fell. Like there could have also been a really interesting question of like he served. Soviet Union and then the, you know, and that would be a totally different uh, a direction for it again, but I think that would have been a fun thing. But just having it not be Hydra was, that was one very big positive for me. Well, and I, and I know, uh, speaking to that, David Harbour has already said how much he loves that character and how he really would love to do a whole thing of like the Red Guardian and kind of the Russian version of the Avengers and kind of do a whole series. He's like, I don't know if, you know, it's not like Kevin Feige's come and talk to me about it or anything, but I love this character and I, w- I would totally be there for that, which I think would be fun because, I mean, he is great in this role. And I certainly hope that we get to see him um, if it pops up in the, the Hawkeye storyline as we kind of follow that. I have no idea, but uh, but it would be interesting. Well, we know that there's a superhero arms race for the for after Captain America. That's been a recurring. That that was all of Falcon and Winter Soldier was talking about that and how difficult it was. The Incredible Hulk is all about that. I mean, it's it's uh, like chasing his thing. So how does he have powers? How did Russia yeah. have it? And if they had this, why isn't he more valuable even just for genetic extraction than descending into Ohio in ninety five? So there is elements there that could make a really interesting story of how he got his powers, why he was there, and then and then why they just discarded and him. which Captain America in prison knew it. Which Captain yeah, America was yeah. he fighting in nineteen eighty four? That he keeps blaming. Exactly. <laughs> right. That uh, there's all there's there's this nice little pieces they can put together into an interesting story. They just in some way mentioned that that was Bradley or something. That would have been such a nice callback to what happened mm. in Falcon which is Soldier. Well, I, uh, Bradley was in prison at the time, so he wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been him either. Um, that's why I'm trying to figure out who it was because I think Bradley goes to prison in the late fifties. As far as the Winter Soldier says that he went like he was active in the early to mid fifties and. By the 60s, he was in prison for 30 years. I thought they said they, they pulled him out for select missions from time to time. But I'm I, that, that's a totally different tangent. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah that you, might you, be, you true too. be right there. Yeah, it's I mean, it, it makes for an interesting story. And what I love about this is is that I mean, we've had a lot of Marvel world building that has gone off Earth. I mean, you know, starting with Thor, we started reaching out to Asgard and then Guardians of the Galaxy went all over the place. And so it's a very expansive universe. But so often I find that the stories on Earth aren't that globetrotting. Like it's it's very still kind of, you know, centered on kind of our Avengers who largely, I mean, we have Sokovia, I suppose, but otherwise it seems largely kind of US based. And so all of a sudden now it's like, okay, but now we've got these Soviets and it's like starting to think about like, yeah, what other superheroes are here? And, and uh, Wakanda, obviously, but it's like, it's slowly starting to grow. And I'm, I'm, I'm liking this whole idea of potentially expanding on like the superhero arms race, as you were saying, Kyle, and, and getting more of these potential stories about, you know, the conflicting uh, global power superpowers as they start working with these different superhero entities and kind of what does that say like when captain america is facing off against the red guardian and things like that so 
I want to see a lot more of that. And eventually we'll get a crossover with the boys on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about that. There was, uh, I mean, there was... A little darker, though. <laughs> there was a uh, reference to uh, trying to find the genetic potential in infants, uh, which to me just sounds like the X factor. So I'm just thinking oh, yeah. maybe there's some X-Men around the corner, which could add to this kind of arms race and trying to find those that have those that potential. Right, because that's brought up as far as how they find Natasha, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is a pretty interesting story. I I don't know if it was just me, but I kept waiting at the end when we saw her tombstone at at the uh, under the tree. I I was like, is this the tree? Are we going to see unknown next to her? Like in my head, I kept thinking that they were going to actually go there. They never quite did, but I kept thinking of that. It was an interesting uh, story for, I thought, Natasha and her mother, too, as far as like the way that that played out, as far as, you know, she had been essentially, as you just pointed out, she had actually been kind of harvested, essentially, and, and, and bought from her mother, who then I, I don't know. I, I was very curious about that storyline. I, I guess I got all I wanted out of it. But, you know, the fact that her mom had basically sold her to this organization and then it sounded like decided, I really want my kid after all, and doggedly was going after them, trying to get her child back. And then, of course, they they put her down. Um, I, I mean, any other thoughts from any of you as far as like other elements that we got from Natasha and like her childhood and those sorts of moments that, that stood out for you as things that worked really well or that you wanted more from. I thought they dealt with that pretty well in terms of, I, I, I get a little tired of, of parent, the, the parent story of like the, that it's, it's the blood, it's the genetics. It's all, that's what makes mm. a, a person different. Like this was getting rid of that entirely. There was even a deleted scene from civil war where she talks about finding the graves of her parents. And they're just like, and then her talking to captain America and Captain America, they're like, what did you find? It's like just two pieces of stone in the ground. Like, it was it was nothing, uh, and I, so like I like that that they they addressed it and then dismissed it. So it's like it's because it's not about like who her mom was, who her dad was, like if it was were they connected and that stuff. It was about her, and so it was like even though there was a genetic thing, which I, that always that always weirds me out when they ever they have. Oh, the reason she became fantastic is because of her genetics. Well, well how about can she just be awesome? Could that could that be it? Uh, so that when they sort of move away from that, I, I was glad because then it's because it's about the found family. As a diehard Star Wars fan, I certainly have some thoughts about the idea that your genetics have to be perfect for you to be yeah. a hero. But <laughs> right? uh, put it, putting that I, aside, as soon as they talked about that, I was like, "Oh, it's Ray! <laughs> They're doing Ray all over again!" And it started really pissing me off. And then they started moving away love from Ray. It. I just don't want her to have that parenting. Yes, but but the thing, the other thing to me that really struck me, um, my all-time favorite superhero movie is Logan. And I'll say I'm not a comic book reader. I all just I'm a dirty casual. I love the way Logan. I knew there was a reason I liked you, Matthew. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I, I love the way Logan captures that you can have like amazingly talented people doing amazing violence for the best of reasons, and it's still heartbreaking to watch. And and the way that they have the child mutants in that movie, I promise when we get back to Black Widow, you know, there's a scene where they do uh like violence against the t- most terrible of people. And it's both like, but it's not like rah, rah, go. It's it's chilling because you're like, these are eight-year-olds. They shouldn't have to do this. That was the exact feeling I got. And I think one of my favorite scenes where Natasha's, fla- where the, the kids are helping with a getaway, you know, and you're just like, these kids have combat skills that no one their age should have. And you're both like, yeah, cool, gr- blue-haired girl, kick ass. And oh my God, what does that mean about you that you're kicking ass at that age, you know? And 
that combined with some of the stuff about like I knew the Christmas presents were empty, but I still wanted to open them. It was just it gave me chills. And I thought that was such a great way of doing this whole like, you know, both making like a fun superhero thing, but also like these are child soldiers. And like, what does that mean? And and I love when when superhero stories can do that. So I just thought that scene especially was fantastic. That was a powerful scene Uh, for me. That really hit me. The fact that, you know, she was looking at that that photo album and looking at those and said, you know, I knew they were empty. And, and it struck me at that moment. I'm like, yeah, the whole thing was fake. They were only there for three years. The fact that as kids with their parents, their faux parents, they actually changed clothes, did all these different poses and pictures, pretending like, oh, now this is Easter. Now it's Christmas. Now we're doing a Thanksgiving. Like, it's like shocking when you think about that, like getting your kids you know, I mean, I, I know that they have been, quote, trained or whatever. They've already started the programming process. But still, it's like that's real. It kind of breaks broke my brain a little bit just thinking about how, how horrific it was what was actually going on with these these kids at such a young age. It's, uh, it's shocking, but it's, it's made for a really powerful scene, seeing how that played out. We're getting close to the uh, to the hour mark here. Let's chat a little bit about the end of the film. It's a little bit of a, uh, a an Easter egg that we have, which interestingly was shot before Falcon and the Winter Soldier. This was meant to be the introduction of Valentina, the character that we that pops up there. I'm working with the new Cap after he's been fired and and turns him into, um, I believe, the U.S. agent uh, to work for them and. Here we have her uh, reveal that she's actually working with Yelena, and and Yelena is one of her or in her employ, and uh, is tasked with the job to go after Craig Barton. Um, how did all this play out for all of you? As far as the, uh, it's interesting. It works before, like I could have seen this leading into Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and I can see it also from Falcon and the Winter Soldier to to this. How did it all work for all of you? Greg, what'd you think? I actually thought it worked better that it was we we saw her in Falcon and Winter Soldier because now we know what's mm. going on. Because um, had had it just been this, uh, I was sure only the hardcore geeks, the the clean <laughs> readers, <laughs> not the not casual, the, dirty, uh, dirty casuals, <laughs> no, the, the clean hardcores would have thought, "Oh, that's Madame Hydra, whatever." Um, but I, so I, I think that's great. But I also it also puts the idea that. People wait know way too much about what happened on another planet. She and Hawkeye were by themselves, and only Hawkeye would come back and tell the story. And it's not like he's going, hey, let me tell you a story. He's like walking in bars and telling everybody what's going Mm -hmm. on. I always found that kind of disturbing how much everyone knows. Um, Because I, I think it was in the 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 Falcon Winter Soldier, everybody knows what happened with Thanos and and Steve Rogers when, you know, it's like, how do you guys know all this stuff as a regular person? This, this would be covered up as best they could. And it would be conspiracy theorists who would be talking about it. They'd be right, but they would be considered nuts. But here, everybody, even the Eternals in the trailer that I saw right beforehand, know that Steve Rogers and uh, Tony Stark are gone. And, you know, and that's fine. But I don't think, I don't think everyone should know that Steve Rogers is gone. I think they all know that Tony Stark might have sacrificed himself because I think people would want to tell that story and make sure people knew that this guy we thought was a selfish billionaire a-hole. Uh, I tried to, I, that should <laughs> get through censors, right? Um, is actually a unbelievable selfless human being. But Captain America, who did all his stuff, who 
is Steve Rogers is now gone. No one needs to know that. Um, and it's just weird that so many people know so much about what went on off planet. Well, he's on the moon, right? Well, Steve Rogers yeah. lives on the moon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. but they yeah, know right? about Black Widow uh, dying yeah. on yeah. Volmer or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, that was an odd one. And it, uh, it, I was like, I don't remember like the CGN news cameras like at the, at the, <laughs> at the site of, uh, at the end of, yeah. of Endgame. So, but I can see where people would think that they were the last two people they saw together. Off they went. One came back and that guy was Ronan. Who was killing people all over the place? So they put one and one together and got three. They're wrong, but so I can see that. But again, it's just well, the people, the average person, the street level person knows way too much about what's going on, and that just seems weird. I agree with that. I, I like I like them putting Elena on the path to because she's going to be showing up in the Hawkeye series when it shows up, but. I can't see any advantage to taking out Hawkeye. Like, what is the Contessa's plan? Like, of all the Avengers, why are you worried about Hawkeye? He lives on a farm. Like, what? <laughs> I have no idea why she would take any time or resources to get rid of Hawkeye. I have a thought on that. Oh, okay, Just, good. I mean, this is this is. Uh, I mean, this is comic book fan theory in every which way. Uh, but Hawkeye is a part of the Dark Avengers, um, a lot of the times. So maybe it's, uh, prove yourself, uh, and he'll end up actually being recruited onto that team. Um, maybe there's some, uh, Hawkeye series where he ends up kind of betraying his daughter. I don't know. Just a thought that he doesn't actually die. He doesn't actually get caught. He doesn't actually, like, he's not really a tar. He's more of a target for recruitment. Uh, as more of like a Ronin kind of thing than uh, than actually take him out because I had that thought too. I was like, he's like retired and <laughs> yeah. uh, and I guess is teaching his daughter a thing or two. Is that yeah. threatening? I guess I don't know. I had a total roller coaster about that last scene because first of all, Natasha gets the graveside recognition she deserves that she didn't get in Endgame. Love that Yelena going with Val as love, especially because I. I didn't feel like Natasha ever was like, okay, well, now you're not red dusted. Let me kind of teach you how to maybe not be a ter- like a, a, a murderer anymore. And so her going with Val at first, I was like that. But then Yelena wasn't rescued. Oh, no, Yelena wasn't ever really fully rescued. Perfect. And then when literally she was like showing her the screen, I was like, don't make it be Hawkeye. Don't make it be Hawkeye. Don't. <laughs> because it just felt to me like, like, I love that we can come up with a reason for it. But it does feel like, oh, we're doing a Hawkeye show. Yelena's a cool character. How do we put Yelena in Hawkeye? Oh, let's have her want to kill Hawkeye. It just felt like the worst, like, back with, like, Ultron level, like, when Marvel was just having super contrivances just to be able to put one person in another show or movie. Um, again, I don't mean to be so net or good of a cynical, but just I was like, I love so much about that, but why? And maybe there's a plan. We'll find out later. But I, I just didn't love it. <laughs> Tune into Hawkeye to find out. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'll get your answers. Yeah, I... But it is one of those things. It's like I guess you just got to go along with it. I but I do I do love what they did there. I liked that we had the the little grave site and everything. I thought it I thought it was pretty effective. So, uh, any last thoughts on this point or anything else with this film before we start wrapping up? From any one of you, there won't be a sequel. <laughs> well, I, I if they do, it's going to be Florence Pugh. But I mean, Scarlet. This was a, I thought this was a good ending for her. Uh, it it wrapped up all the loose ends that everyone was upset about with Infinity War or throughout the course of, like I said, yes, it should have come out four years ago. It didn't, but we got it now. You can you can now literally just go watch that in between Civil War and Doctor Strange if you want. 
and you won't even feel a difference. Um, but I think it was a very nice little uh, ending for Scarlett Johansson's character and her being part of the MCU. I want to give a quick shout out to um, the no small parts slam dunk uh, that was Mason's mm. character um, or Mason, the character right. of Mason, but played by uh, I'm not going to pronounce his name right. O.T. Bag Benley. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, point is, he was great. I loved his character. And uh, and I, I really I'm uh, this is one of the things that Marvel often gets right, is that characters with small parts are uh cast very well written very well and so that you really really like them and um it adds to the entire experience of the movie i would 100 percent agree with that i saw when i saw the movie with rob who's my co-host on marvel movie minute and we walked out that's the character he was most excited about like he like we walked out he's like who's that guy like how did he get a quinjet like what's his story like so already just a very small part with not even a a necessarily a really strong comic book connection but they did such a good job of casting and writing that it's like what's that guy's story like when's he gonna show up again that started that started all the way back with um iron man um this is this is just a smart uh producerial directorial choice they've 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 gotten the right creative talent to understand that like there are not throwaway parts if someone's going to be on screen and talking like make them matter um and uh that's that's been something that's been pretty consistent across marvel movies and i want to give them kind of like a you know hat tip for that stuff i certainly after watching this kind of walked out assuming that when we see any more of yelena in the future we likely will also see more of mason so um so maybe he'll also be popping up in hawkeye i'd kind of love that because he was fantastic uh any other last thoughts from you cj uh, I love that if you go back and watch Avengers Infinity War, um, Black Widow is wearing the vest. It just makes mm-hmm. me so happy. Mm-hmm. And I hope yeah. that we see Florence Pugh in the vest later. That She got it back somehow. I just <laughs> it's a cute little thing. And I like it. Lots of pockets. Also, when we see her in the in the glass cage, when she's actually Melina, she's in the same position she was when she fell from Volum when she landed at the bottom of Volmar, Um when she's laying on the bed. Oh, oh interesting. In the cage. Oh. Yeah. I could I I, I noticed that because the way she, her leg was crossed, the way it was exactly they made the, exactly the same mm. layout. So even though it wasn't her, it was Melina. Deep cut, nice. Nice. Speaking of weird things that r- reminded me of other things from other projects, when that helicopter falls from the sky, first of all, that was uh, <laughs> weirdly comical to the way that it just like fell and that, and that was the moment that jordan and the guy next to him went just they could not stop laughing. for the record for the record the guy sitting next to me laughed way longer That's than true. i did and i and i and i often am the guy who's laughing last in the in the theater uh beyond when everyone else is like quieted down is back to watching the movie and i'm still laughing loudly uh it was that, that guy. guy this time just want to just want to get gotcha. the record well straight i'm glad there. you did i i for me the the way that the copter landed and was sitting there on the hill, like all I could think of was the Thanos copter that we had in in Loki. Like the fa- it was this, like almost in the same position in the frame and everything. I'm like, is that weirdly supposed to be something? Because it just, I don't know. It it struck my brain as a strange, if at all, reference uh, from that particular show. But all right, uh, Matthew, any last thoughts from you? I so loved everything about her parents. Like I, I wanted more of their story, but especially like him in the prison. 
just as like that that moment of him being the big fish in, the big fish in a small pond was so beautiful and hilarious and also Ursa Ursa Major apparently could be a character and he was listed as that in the caption so that could be mm-hmm. fun but then the moment when he's like back with the person who you know was his wife theoretically but they were both spies but seeing that there is some genuine warmth between the two of them, um, as a person who has a couple items in his closet who I am, if I keep eating right, will one day be able to fit into again, but can't right now. Like that scene of him, I was just like, oh God, I'm with you, my friend. Like when he couldn't <laughs> fit in. But then the way that she was like, it's a little tight, but this still looks good. Like, I just like, there was so much warmth there. And just, it, it was just like, that one line told me everything I needed to know about how those two characters felt about each other. And I just thought that was like, as much as I want more, Marvel is very good at just giving you one or two sentences that perfectly tell you about two characters. And I thought, I, I loved that. My son got, uh, who's young and juvenile, got a, a very big kick out of the line, I've been in prison and I have a lot of energy. <laughs> <laughs> Long laugh. That was, that was the same yeah. laugh that you had on your end there, Jordan. Uh, Jordan, any last thoughts from you on this one? I think like some of the the, the criticisms of this movie, I think have um, have been really really insightful. Uh, particularly, Matthew, shout out to some of your um, ideas about what maybe could have been done to make this movie way more maybe deep and and philosophically and engaging. But uh, but I I do want to just in general like my my lasting impression of this movie is is very very positive um, and. Um, while I have, I'm a little salty toward Marvel in general. Um, I still will always show up and really appreciate like a very fine product. <laughs> um, and Disney's really good at getting my money, uh, and they always will be. I think so. You know, there are worse things. They figured it out. Kyle, last thoughts? Yeah, the, I I think it's interesting how they they sort of position Captain Marvel as being so. Uh, strong women, strong, like, you know, all that stuff. And yet, I think Black Widow did the job better, like, in without making a, a big deal of it. I, I found this one much more emotionally resonant, uh, much more interesting, and, and much more female-dominated than the sort of first strongest female hero. It was it was uh, interesting uh, just to sort of compare and contrast. Yeah, I think it was a great time. It was a, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad Natasha finally got her due. Um, I'm happy that they have found a new Black Widow, if, if that was what where they're going for if she's the white widow she's the black widow um that they've they've sort of handed the mantle off Uh, and so i think if this is the last time we've seen the black widow uh natasha romanoff i think scarlett johansson can walk off in the sunset with her head held high because i think it was it was a good way to go out yeah yeah i i think that they did a good job with this one i had a lot of fun Uh, i think i I just loved seeing it being so female centric so uh, weirdly it's like f9 and now we have this like what is it about family right now it's like i guess it's just very celebratory (laughs) of like it's all about the family um but i loved that I, i really loved that that we had such a strong family presence in this film um well all of you thank you so much for for uh joining me here to talk about black widow on uh, on the film board i really appreciate it uh craig do you have any plugs that you'd like to throw out to people uh sure we get uh matinee heroes which is the main podcast where we talk and celebrate heroic cinema so we do that every saturday and then we have a spin-off game show that we do on tuesdays called the cast off because part of the th- part of the segments one of the segments we do for matinee heroes is we recast the movie that we're talking about not because we don't think they did a good job is this we just love actors so much and We'd like to see other people do other things. So we do the cast off on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Pacific. And 
at Comic Cons near you. We'll be doing one in Houston live. We're doing two in Houston live, and we're going to be doing one in uh, Salt Lake in September at FanX. So, and anybody else would like to. So, matinaheroes.com. Fantastic. Kyle, how about you? Uh, Marvel Movie Minute Season 3 is up and rolling, so we are about halfway through Iron Man 2. Uh, so we jump in if you haven't gone. We're, we're having a good time talking about it in a minute-by-minute fashion. Uh, also, we do a weekly recap show uh, live on YouTube right here. If you're watching the live stream, it's here, or on the Next Real YouTube page. That's uh, around 1130, and we uh, go over whatever the Marvel news has come out and then talk about uh, Marvel Movie Minute, and then usually whatever, if it's Loki, if it's if it's Captain America Winter Soldier, whatever we're, we're talking about, um, we get into it there too awesome cj do you have any uh, anything you want to plug or, or any place you want people to follow you online or anything like that uh you know my my online presence at the moment is limited so uh i don't really have a whole lot of plugs i was just happy to to join and uh talk about a good movie it's happy to be here awesome jordan how about you I actually do have a plug this week. Hey, um, all right. I, I work for a company called Himalaya. And if you download the Himalaya app, um, I've been producing these biographical stories. We release one a day um, for free. So it's a paid app with paid content, but they make uh, one of these stories available for free every day. Um, and uh, I I think they're I think they're great. I'm biased. I make them. But uh, anyway, so if people want to check them out, i please please do and uh if you want to tell me what you think of them you can hit me up on twitter or whatever <laughs> uh, and, w- and yeah. where would they find you there i am i am not jay peterson at on twitter um so at not jay peterson with, uh, an, with o. an o-n because right. my name is spelled with an e-n it's uh <laughs> it's very complicated uh <laughs> anyway it's yeah. like an in joke. You got to understand it to really, yeah. really get it. <laughs> yeah, I love exactly. it. Exactly, I love it. All right, Matthew, uh, where would you like to direct people for for your show? Sure. So, um, first of all, I uh, apologies to those who just loved hearing about the the popcornness and the great action. But if you don't if you don't mind the uh, deep philosophical gazing on popcorn movies, uh, my podcast Superhero Ethics is where we go into a lot of depth about that kind of stuff. We talk about anything that's in the kind of superhero sci-fi fantasy we've done video games role-playing games uh the magic the gathering story i'm not always so negative as i was today and i apologize for being over the critical tomorrow night we're recording on uh luca and zaya and the last dragon which we have have, fantastic things to say about i love both of those i love black widow in a lot of ways but uh so definitely check that out i also do a podcast called star wars universe podcast which is a podcast for people who really love star wars who don't like the toxicity of some of the fandom and haven't memorized the names of all the different ships and like it's it's much more about the kind of like the characters the story than it is uh uh diving very deep into the lore details but we have a lot of fun with it and you can check out both of those at theethicalpanda.com or by, that's my kind of gnome to plume on the internet the ethical panda and you can search for me on twitter or facebook under that same name fantastic well, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in to our July uh, uh, member bonus episode. I think we're actually going to be releasing it to the public, but members are going to be getting it first. Um, and as for, as for that, thank you all of our wonderful members for your support. For everybody, don't forget to join our online community with fellow movie lovers. You can learn more at thenextreel.com slash discord. And if you are interested in supporting us to help keep the lights on and get some great benefits while you're at it, head to thenextreel.com slash membership. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll be back in August. This is uh, the end for, uh, for this month. So until then, meeting adjourned.
Here on the Film Board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. Thenextreel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and the Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to thenextreel.com slash originals and get your next read today. 